Scripture today is from Luke 12, and it'll be verses 1 through 12 today. It is about warnings and encouragements. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered <clears throat> in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Thank you, Linda. It's been my practice in the summers to work through the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to start here that we ended in chapter 11 last summer. And we'll start here in chapter 12. For those of you who are guests, there are outlines of the message in the bulletin. If you care to follow that, there'll also be highlights on the PowerPoint. Well, have you ever been to a concert where the main band is on the stage? It's time for the concert to start. And the band is huddled together, just talking with each other. And everybody's waiting. Thousands of people are seated, waiting for them to begin. And they just keep everybody waiting. They keep talking, having their conversation, whatever they're talking about. Or have you ever been to a baseball game Star Spangled Banner's been played. Fans are all seated. Everybody's waiting for the game to begin. But the manager and the players are all out on the pitcher's mound having some big discussion while thousands are waiting. Well, that's what's happening here with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is preparing to speak to this large crowd in a large space. There are thousands of people waiting to hear him. It says there's so many, they're trampling on each other. 
Yet, Jesus, verse 1, began to speak first to his disciples. What in the world is so important to Jesus that he ignores these multitudes and speaks to his disciples first and keeps everybody waiting? Well, Luke tells us what's so important to Jesus. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is what is on Jesus' mind. If you can remember back in last August when we ended at the end of chapter 11, Jesus was debating with the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes of the religious, Jewish religious system and he confronts them with their hypocrisy. He says in chapter 11, verse 39, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. The origin of the word hypocrisy is an actor, one who plays a part, even literally one who wears a mask because actors in those days wore a mask and then they would trade masks to be different actors. Today we would call, um, use the word fake. This is the person who, in our religious culture would say is a, um, it? proclaims to be a Christian, acts like a Christian, does all the uh, motions of a Christian, but privately, inside and even externally, lives differently. A hypocrite is someone who wants to impress others in order to hide who they really are. And Jesus wants to warn his followers, his disciples, of hypocrisy, especially as they are becoming the leaders in the kingdom of God. Actually, Luke chapter 12 contains a series of warnings that Jesus gives primarily to his disciples while the crowd listens behind him. His warning regarding hypocrisy and being two-faced is first a warning, is his first warning of this chapter, and it is a warning to us. In the first three verses, Jesus gives us three things we need to know about hypocrisy and how we can avoid it. First, he describes the nature of hypocrisy. The very fact that Jesus is addressing this with his disciples, with thousands of people waiting, is he knows that everybody, including his disciples, the people closest to him, and including you and me, are capable of hypocrisy. He's very clear. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. All of us are capable of being inconsistent between what we profess we believe and how we live. This is why Jesus addresses it. We notice the word yeast. Yeast is something we put into dough, bread dough, to make bread rise. It works itself all through the dough. And in the same way, Jesus considers hypocrisy something that spreads that contaminates everything, whether it's in our character or in our lives and influence. 
Hypocrisy cannot be contained in the heart of one person, especially if that person is a leader. Jesus knows what kind of effect the disciples will have as leaders upon other people. They're shepherds. Their lives will affect the sheep. And anyone who is a leader in any capacity, including parents and grandparents, whose lives are fundamentally two-faced and hypocritical, have nothing to give but more hypocrisy. We all know the examples of religious leaders whose positive public ministry and teaching is polluted and undone by public moral failure. Obviously, hypocrisy contaminates our influence, but it also contaminates our soul. There, for the Christian who professes to be a believer and lives as a hypocrite, there's either incredible tension that's inside you because you're living secretly inconsistent with the faith that you profess, or you compromise. You start to justify your sin. And friends, that is spiritual death. I believe, friends, in the idea that at the heart of hypocrisy is idolatry. Is idolatry. We can publicly present ourselves as followers of Jesus. We can go to worship. We can go to Bible studies. We can teach. We can, we can be part of leading worship. We can do service projects. We can be on consistory. We can be in leadership. But privately and secretly, we may be worshiping some other desire. Some desire that is more important to us than the desire for God and the desire for his kingdom. And we want to worship this secret desire and at the same time make it look like we worship God. On the inside, we continue to worship this idol, this secret desire. Anything, it can be anything. It can be anything. We can make anything into an idol, anything we put above God. In this context, and we will see next week when we pick up the next verses, one of the greatest, strongest idols is being concerned with what other people think of you. And compromising ourselves to look good so that people think of us in the way we want them to. This kind of idolatry is at the heart of hypocrisy. At the heart of hypocrisy is something in your heart that you desire more than your Creator. And you want at the same time to be thought of as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Now we've all seen this two-faced duplicity in ourselves as well as other people. We cover up who we really are. We pretend to be something we're not. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain the futility of hypocrisy. In verse 2, when he says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed 
or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, everything we try to hide, including our inconsistency and secret sins and secret idols, will be exposed. There is a day that comes when all of that will be laid out. Hebrews 4.13 reveals, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again, in other words, if you believe what the Bible teaches, hypocrisy doesn't work. It, it can't accomplish its purpose. It catches up with us. Verse 3 says, What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. All of our secret sins will be exposed. Psalm 90 verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our sins will find us out. Our hypocrisy will be exposed. We can't play the game and win. But church, here's the worst thing about hypocrisy. This is the great danger of hypocrisy. Is it fails to deal with the root problem in our lives. It fails to deal with our sin and our guilt. Hypocrisy tries to deal with the problem of sin by downplaying it and covering it up. It attempts to deal with sin by ignoring it or covering it up or minimizing it and then putting on that mask and putting on a good front so no one sees it. Basically what we do as hypocrites is we're trying to handle sin in our lives, in our lives ourselves. And we're doing it in a superficial cover-up and try to make it look like we're right with God and we're in good fellowship with God and we self-justify. And this is why Jesus is so opposed to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy undermines everything the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation about salvation being by grace alone. Hypocrisy, what it does is sidetrack us from the grace of God. It's the wrong prescription. It's the wrong solution to sin and guilt. Trying to live as a hypocrite, having a secret idol, and trying to appear right with God can actually undermine our eternal salvation because it prevents us from receiving the grace of God. Hypocrisy is that dangerous. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is not what I'm about. This is not what I'm teaching. There's an entirely different way to relate to God and to one another. And I've come to bring something far more radical than a religion where you cover up and pretend to be something that you're not. Only Jesus can deal with our sin. And that leads us into our last point. The alternative to hypocrisy. 
And Jesus begins, or though I should say the Bible, I'm broadening out from this passage here, but the alternative begins with humble humility and honesty. Humble honesty. Instead of hiding and pretending, take responsibility for your secret idol and your sin and your contradictions and admit them. Stop faking. Own up to the flaws and the weaknesses in your life. Admit them. Own up to them to someone you can trust and someone you can be accountable to. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and then he quotes from Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, or that word can be translated grace, to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humility is the pathway to the grace and love of God. Hypocrisy prevents you from doing that. It, it, humility is letting go of the pride, letting go of the fear, and getting honest, getting real. It's letting God be in control instead of trying to control the people in your life and the circumstances in your life. It means taking some moral and spiritual inventory. Not to beat yourself up with, not to shame yourself with, but to find freedom and to find grace. God gives grace to who? The humble. The humble. Now who do you tell? Who do you talk to about your hypocrisy? Well, the Lord. To yourself. And to another human being. Listen to James 4.16. It's very clear. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Not just your journal. Not just to God. But to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Underline to each other. To another person. Of course it's scary. But it is necessary. Alcoholics Anonymous has the slogan, we are only as sick as our secrets. When we keep secrets, they, they, are, they generate spiritual death in our lives. We need to confess to one another. And there's another slogan, revealing is the beginning of healing. When we hold things in and hide things, we cannot heal. That's what James 4.16 tells us. To break out of hypocrisy, I have to exercise a humble honesty. And friends, that's why God sometimes allows the consequences and the pain of hypocrisy in order to break our pride, to break our stubbornness. And it's often that pain and embarrassment that leads to the next step. 
And that is spiritual rebirth. Spiritual renewal. The nature of hypocrisy is internal. It's the result of a corrupt, sin-broken, hardened heart. And we all have it. In order to overcome hypocrisy, we, there, there needs to be a change of heart. A spiritual rebirth. Jesus told in John 3, one of the leading Pharisees, he said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again from above. Spiritual rebirth. You see, our spirits, because of sin, are dead. They're dead to God. They're unresponsive to Him. And the Spirit, our spirit needs to be made alive to our Creator and to our Savior to be reborn, to be regenerated. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel predicted this. He said in chapter 36, I will give you what? A new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove that heart of stone that's dead within you and I'll give you a heart of flesh that beats with life. This is what Jesus came to do. He invites us to put unconditional faith in Him, to surrender the throne of our hearts to Him. And He makes us alive. This is what Paul meant when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. There's a progression here. The alternative to hypocrisy begins with humility and honesty. It leads to our faith in a higher power, the higher power of Jesus Christ, who through the Holy Spirit makes us inwardly alive and responsive to God. And that brings us to the next step, a new desire. A new desire. In our first point, we identified as idolatry as the root of hypocrisy. Cherishing something. Cherishing a secret sin. And that has to be overcome. And we cannot overcome idolatry. We cannot overcome sin in our lives by scolding ourselves or warning ourselves about the consequences that may come. How many of us have made choices that we knew there would be bad consequences and we did it anyway? I have. We can't root out an immoral and ungodly desire by just saying, stop it. Here's how we do it to break the power of an idol in our hearts, any stronghold of sin, we need a new and godly desire that is stronger than the ungodly desire, that is stronger than the idol. When we begin to have in our hearts a desire for Jesus, for fellowship with the living God, to walk in the Spirit, that desire, that thing that we've craved and wanted more than anything else, will eventually bow to Jesus. See, it's not just about stopping 
a behavior. It's not just about removing a stronghold or stopping an addiction. It's about replacing it. Replacing it with something more powerful, more beautiful, more life-giving. And what does Jesus say this is to be? Our highest priority, our greatest desire in life. What's more powerful? What's more beautiful? What's more life-giving? Matthew 22, 36, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Not just part of it, but all of it. This is the first and greatest commandment. And it's how we break the power of sin. It's how we remove an idol, by growing in our love for God, cultivating a wholehearted love and devotion for our Savior. As we said at the beginning, everyone is vulnerable to the yeast of the Pharisees, the temptation of hypocrisy. Without realizing it, we can slip into patterns of playing games with God, of putting up appearances before others. When we know in our hearts there's another desire that's stronger and that we serve. The great danger of hypocrisy is diverting us and sidetracking us from experiencing the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And if this is where you are at today, my friends, I plead with you. Don't play the game. Take yourself out of the game. Humbly and honestly own up to the fact that your sin is far worse than you've ever admitted. Own up to the fact and confess it with another person and tell them and realize it's more pervasive than you've ever admitted. And own up to the fact that it's absolutely indefensible before God. You cannot justify it. And you cannot continue in it. Or you may experience eternal separation from the Lord. And then, realize this. That your Savior knows you better than you do. That your Savior knows your sin better than you do. He can catalog it better than you do. And then one by one, Jesus from the cross says, Father, I'm bearing that sin. I'm taking that guilt. I want to take all the sin for him and for her, for all my people. And he gives grace and he gives mercy that we can receive with humble, honest repentance. You know, being a fake, being a hypocrite, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. You're always covering your tracks. You're always looking over your shoulder. It's exhausting. But there's freedom. Jesus says to all of us, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, who are trying to put up a good front, who are trying to fake everybody out, who's trying to create this 
good reputation. Come to me, I will give you rest. Real, true, and everlasting rest. Would you pray with me? Living God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word penetrates straight through to our hearts. And today we do not want to play games because too much is at stake. So we ask you right now that you would convict us of the places in, our, in the depths of our hearts, in the deepest desires of our inner being, the things that we work very hard to make sure that other people don't know. We pray that you would show us where we've been worshiping something or someone more than you. And then we ask that you would begin to create in us a desire that is greater than that idol. And that we would have such a burning affection for you, such a great love for you in Christ. Realizing that while we are still sinners, in your love you sent your son Christ to die for the ungodly. And that old rotten idol, that infected and yeast-filled sinful disposition and stronghold. And Lord, would you crucify it? And, and that would it be killed and expelled from our hearts, its power broken, and its pull reduced and eliminated, that we will love you with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. To do this, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We know our strongest effort, the most vigorous application of our will is powerless before our sin. But your Holy Spirit is more powerful than anything. So Holy Spirit, make us alive. In Jesus' name, amen.